to fear, where terror is homegrown. Join us as we take a drive down dusty back roads and discover the obscure and dark history of this country, human and otherwise, that lurk in your backyard. Welcome back to State of Fear Podcast. My name is Chris, and with me is my host, the one, the great, the awesome, James. What's up, peeps? Hey, guys, this is episode 12, 1-2, and this time we are doing the... Great state of Idaho. Idaho, that's right. Um, uh, my, one of my very best buds in the entire world lives up there. Cool. Mr. Bebout, if you're listening, what's up, brother? Love you, man. Represent Idaho, buddy. Represent... And on today's episode on Idaho, we are covering the Snake River Killer. Which until today, actually until we uh, researched this, never heard of this guy. Um, I have not either. So this was an all new level of research for me. Fantastic. Um, And I was excited to do it. And we have received some feedback saying that a lot of our items people have never heard of. So this is good. Yeah. And we dig dig below the, the usual... And the more what you call typical, you know, topics for each state, you know, people haven't heard of a lot of this stuff, and thankfully we are getting some good feedback on it. And, and that's kind of that's kind of the reason why we wanted to do this because I mean we we've done a few episodes where we some of our personal encounters came from people who were born or grew up in the state, and they mentioned that they had never heard of that particular topic that we covered. Exactly. Which is great. very cool. Yeah, we always love that. We always love when when people who are from there have not heard of it, because that means that we found something a bit more obscure, which is hard to do in today's society. That is true. I mean, everything's been over-researched and and over-talked about and over-podcast, so to find something that someone who is from there has not found out about or did not know about, is uh, it's great. Maybe doing our job. Yeah. Uh, so before we get into the uh, Snake River Killer, I do have a little sort of side story about Idaho. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, I found an article from another great website that I've used before, Atlas Obscura, which talks about Yellowstone's zone of death. Sweet. Now, this is a <laughs> 50 square mile section of Yellowstone in which there is a legal loophole, which makes it possible for someone to get away with murder. Wow. Yeah. So... The 50-square-mile stretch of Yellowstone National Park that spills over Idaho's border is a legal no-man's land. It's an isolated spot, one devoid of roads or any permanent human inhabitants. It's also missing legislation to prevent people from being charged with serious crimes. The loophole has to do with the Sixth Amendment, which dictates that a jury must be comprised of people from the state and federal district where the crime was committed. Because this portion of Yellowstone is in Idaho, and the park itself lies within the jurisdiction of Wyoming, it means a jury for a crime committed there would have to come from people who live in both Idaho and fall under Wyoming's federal jurisdiction. It would be an impossible jury to form, as this uninhabited part of the park is the only place to fit such criteria. And since Yellowstone is federal land, the individual states involved have no legal jurisdiction to amend the issue. Brian Colt, a legal professor at Michigan State University, brought the loophole into the spotlight in 2005 in a paper published in Georgetown Law Journal called The Perfect Crime 
cult outlined the legal technicalities that put this potentially murderous geographic anomaly on the map. He sent copies of his work to various government authorities before it hit print, hoping someone would close the loophole. Nothing happened, even though news of the loophole made national headlines, federal legislators have yet to take any action. Dubbed the Zone of Death, the area garnered additional attention after it inspired the 2008 novel Free Fire by C.J. Box and later the 2016 horror film Population Zero. Population Zero. I heard of that movie, but I never did watch it. Huh. I never did watch it. 50 square miles of free killing zone. Free killing zone. And the GPS coordinates lead to Buffalo Lake Campground, which is located within the zone. So ah, Buffalo, do, another campground. Do not go camping there with someone that is not your bestest friend. If they have any reason whatsoever to kill you, they can yep. get away with it scot-free. So I could go be Jason and get away with it. Within the 50 square miles, yes. Well, I'm not going to. Of Idaho. And you, you'd have to go to Idaho. Well, that's weird how sometimes these obscure laws... I mean, it, it's funny because if you really look into the subject, there are several laws on the books in these states that are completely nonsensical. Yeah. Like, there's one law I saw somewhere that you can't keep a mule in a bathtub. Mm -hmm. It's actually against the law. Right. It's like, right. why? But, I mean, just as an example, but I'm yeah. not going to go deep into that stuff. But, yeah, a non-jurisdictional land like that, that falls under a very, very, I've never heard of this. I, I hadn't either. That's, yeah. that's It's very cool. It's cool, I but mean, also scary. It is scary. Yeah, because yeah, uh, an isolated area of land, no people. I mean, Yellowstone is a, a heavily touristed park. Absolutely. And it's a large park. Very large. Covers multiple states. Yes. So, you know, you would, I mean, and it said, you know, in the article that uh, it reached national attention, but I had never heard about it until this year. Well. So, yes. Yeah. It's kind of crazy that yeah, there's a 50 square mile place in the United States where you can commit murder and totally get, get away with I'm it. I'm sure they'd find some way to get you for it, but yeah, they would have a hard time making it stick, I, mean, I guess. They, yeah, they could arrest you for it, obviously, but they couldn't try you. Yeah, that's that's, that's the crazy. problem. Yeah. So you would never go to court. You would you you would be locked up for as long as they would allow you to. And then they'd have to let you go because they cannot try you. Yes, and we do not advocate taking anybody you don't like to this area and doing anything of harm. Unless they so, owe you money. Yes. A lot of money. <laughs> I'm talking about like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And in that place, yeah, yeah may, maybe take them there and, you know, don't kill them, you but know, scare the shit out of them. Breaking bad their ass out yeah. there in the middle of the desert someplace. Yeah, yeah but I thought it was a cool, I mean, it's called Island Park, Idaho, you know, and I thought it was a cool little uh, interesting, you know, not really weird news, but just sort of a addendum to the serial killer story we're going to cover today. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's uh, let's go ahead and get into the weird news. Man, I got a good one here today. All right, what uh, we got? You know, this is my favorite cryptid. Okay. But I found the story. It's actually dated April 15th of this year. It was just a couple days ago. Very, very, yeah. Very, soon. very, very recent. Very recent, yeah. This covers the lady, the myth, the legend, the Loch Ness Monster. 
I love Nessie. I've always loved Nessie. I've been, you know, infatuated with her since I was a kid. What about their her American counterparts? American counterparts. Lake Champlain monster. The the monster from the the great. Who are the Lake Placid alligator? I mean, no, what no, no. <laughs> there there is a there is a Nessie counterpart in yep. Lake Champlain. Yeah. So what about what about them? You got no American love for them? Got no love. Oh, no man. man. Okay. Hey, go on. I was hung up on her since I was a kid. Leonard She's Nimoy. The original. Leonard Nimoy in search of. I saw the first episode. Yeah. Saw the original films on her and stuff like that. The speedboat crash and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Even though the famous photo has been proven to be a hoax, so they claim. the 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 surgeon who took it on his deathbed mentioned that he, he it was he a, it was played, a claim. It yeah. was a hand, wasn't it? No, it was a uh, it was a model. <laughs> a model. A model that he created. Yeah. Nah. I know, but that doesn't mean the other sightings are not real. Well, yeah, that he was threatened. Who knows? <laughs> you and your conspiracy. Theories. Anyway, yes. go on. Anyway. Title of the article is Loch Ness Monster Watcher Catches Mysterious Shape Emerging from the Water on Camera. Article written by Anna McSwan on 15 April of 2020. Irish hospital clerk Ewan O'Foudhagen from Drumduit, County Donegal, has recorded the second official sighting of the legendary Nessie as it swam around the Scottish Loch on Monday. A veteran Loch Ness monster watcher has recorded the second sighting of Nessie deemed official this year. The official Loch Ness monster sightings register has confirmed the footage which shows something unexplained emerging from the Uquart Bay at around 8.11 a.m. Ewan of Drumduit, County Donegal, was previously the first person to officially see the monster this decade after he recorded a sighting on January 18th. He also believes he saw Nessie four times last year, but says he had begun to fear she had gone into quarantine amid the corner... Oh, Lord. (laughs) And I want that to stay in. That's just stupid. But says he began to fear she had gone into quarantine amid the coronavirus pandemic. Quote, To be quite honest, I thought Nessie had gone into quarantine. As for the past nearly three months, I did not get a glimpse of her, he told Mail Online. I thought my luck was bound to run out sometime, and I thought this was the time until this morning, and to my great surprise, Nessie came up out of the depths to say hello. The Irishman says the lock is a ghost lake at the moment, with activities such as boating having been suspended due to social distancing rules. In the video footage, a white shape can be seen rising from the water and floating on the surface for a few seconds and throwing up white foam. Oh, that's interesting, a white shape. Usually she's darker. Yeah. She's... That is, that's, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Ewan says the mysterious creature came as high as three or four feet out of the water. He believes the patterns of movement suggest that whatever it was, it would have been at least ten feet long. Quote, it's exhilarating to get another sighting, especially when it's the second one record this year. Back to back, he added. After he reported the sighting to the official Loch Ness Monster Sightings Register, the event was confirmed to have been captured on the Loch Ness Live Cam. That is very cool. That is cool. The site compiles all recorded sightings of the creature and claims there have been a total of 1,115. A little more than coincidence, if you ask me. There were 18 last year alone, the highest number since 1983. Wow. According to Scottish folklore, a mythical creature is long believed to have inhabited Loch Ness in Inverness, in the Scottish Highlands. The monster is believed to have a long neck with one or more humps. 
Nessie's first reported sighting was reported as far back as 565 A.D. by the Irish missionary St. Columba in the River Ness. Scientists have yet to come up with an explanation for the findings. So, uh, so you you firmly believe that uh, Nessie is a like a plesiosaur, a plesiosaur? Dinosaur? I'm thinking so. Okay, I'm thinking it's something that survived the ages. Okay, because uh, they they have found species, completely unknown species, in dark parts of the ocean before. Right, species that you have know, claimed that have been thought to have been extinct. Absolutely, and being that they existed at such a deep level, probably mm-hmm. survived the asteroid impact because mm-hmm. there's already a low oxygen content of the water at that depth anyway. Mm-hmm. So these creatures have adapted to that. So a lot of these may have survived. Okay, It has even been uh, stated there's possibly a megalodon or two still alive in the deeper parts of the ocean. I don't know if that's true, but it would be cool if there was one spotted. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I believe she's real. You believe she's a uh, plesiosaur. A plesiosaur or something similar. Similar. I actually believe that it is just a that it is just a series of sightings of giant eels. Because there are giant eels in the lock. Mm. I've seen pictures of people who have actually been able to fish out. It's not common. But the eels are like eight feet long. Okay. They have a huge circumference and they have massive teeth and they are freaky looking. Yeah, I know that. But I'm just sitting there thinking, how could you confuse an eel with something like this? But then again, who knows? Well, and there have been cases of the Lake Champlain monster where sighting people have claimed to have sightings only to have later found out that it was actually a swarm of otters wow. that were turning in the water. But the way they turned... They couldn't see the entire body, so it gotcha. just looked weird. So they claimed it was like it was Champlain. uniform, so it was like some right. odd-looking gotcha. Exactly. But I do think that it is something that it's not something normal. Yeah. I believe that it's a extremely large eel, larger than has been recorded. Okay. I mean, because we, we just found out about, you know, we just confirmed the giant squid okay, recently. Now- the one, the one fact I should know this because I am a big fan of Loch Ness. Yeah. Is the lock salt water or is it fresh water? Fresh water. It is fresh it water. It is fresh water. Yeah. Then how, you know, eels are salt water creatures though, at least right. as far as I know. There is a shark that lives on both fresh and salt water. That's true. And because I know this because I'm definitely afraid of sharks. Yep. And when we were going to Costa Rica for our honeymoon, we were near the Nicaragua border. Oh, okay. And there's a large lake in there right near the border called Lake Nicaragua. And I was like, Hey, Uh, I'll tell my wife, let's go visit it and and see what the lake is like and and maybe go swimming or whatever. Well, I looked it up and there was no swimming allowed in that lake because bull sharks, what they're called. Bull sharks. Bull sharks, uh, frequently swim up river to that lake to mate and lay eggs. Oh man, that's some bull shark right there. That's some bull shark right there. And there have been, there's been, there was footage of people who were taking boat rides on the lake and you see fins pop up in the lake water. Oh no. And that is absolutely terrifying to me. Yeah. But they, they come into the lake, but then they go back out to sea. So if sharks can do it, there are obviously other creatures who can withstand salt water and fresh water as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. The only shark encounter I've had up close, close is uh, I was out in Florida visiting mm-hmm. my son. Yeah. This is Atlantic. The Atlantic, it was, you know, up there in Myrtle Beach. Okay. He was on duty. So me and his, my daughter-in-law and grandkid and. Max, we all went down the down, down the water, go swimming. Mm-hmm. So I'm out about 20, 30 feet, bobbing around the surf, and I'm coming back. And between me and the shoreline, there's a fin cruising, mm. cruising the waves. No way. So I had probably about a six or seven footer cruising between me and the and the shore. Yeah, wasn't a huge shark, but the fin was big enough. 
And they were like, hey, there's a shark. So I started trying to find it. Okay. <laughs> Stupid, but you, I was looking for it. And I was like, holy crap. Like, you were thinking, I can take him. I don't know. He's only six feet. I can take him. I'm ex-military. It's like, come on, bring it. That's right. Let's go, Jaws. Bear versus a shark. No, but actually it vanished. It was it, it just swam down the thing. But yeah. it was pretty cool because I was turning around walking back to the shore. Right. And here's this freaking fin between me and the shore. I'm like, and Ooh. I've seen ton of video of, uh, especially recently, of um, of drones. People have had drones at the beach, and you know they have them up at the water. And you see sharks come by the shore all the time. And normally they just, you know, they swim by. They're looking for fish or whatever. Yeah. And then they just take off. Yep. You know, it's just it's us who just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. It you know it tracks the shark attention, and then they they yeah. bite to see if it's something they normally eat. Absolutely, you know, rarely do they ever Say, eat hmm, people. This looks good, Chomp right? Up, oh, human, yuck. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. But yeah, I mean, I'm definitely afraid of sharks because yeah. just because I have this fear. But like, I totally respect them. I mean, they're yeah, they're amazing they, predators. And you're right, and they don't jet like you said. They don't drag you around like jaws or nothing like no. that. No, they hit you. Right. That's why a lot of people maybe lose a limb or lose a chunk of skin because they hit, and bam, see, and then they realize you're not, you're not some you're aquatic. not a seal or a fish you're, or something. Yeah, exactly. You're not. But see, I, th- I think that's the thing that scares me the most is, is that because they're they're such you know uh, advanced predators and their teeth are so sharp and their their jaw power is so powerful that that uh, you know anybody who's been attacked and lived and lost a limb said that they didn't feel any pain. All they felt was a bump and then pressure and exactly like that a limb gone. was gone yeah and that actually that scares me more than if i feel flesh tearing yeah i feel pain because then you're like walking and you're like wait a minute i understand sudden, something bad is going on yes if i get hit with a bump in the ocean where i can't yep. see in the water and then i come up and i miss an arm that's scary to me hell yeah it's like that that, that young girl that was surfing right right that just nailed her right in the surf yeah just snatched her just like real quick real quick yeah and everybody who's who's had those encounters and live has mentioned that. I mean, there are people who have been bitten like in the side. Obviously, that that that's going to leave a, a yeah. large scar or whatever. But like, that's what scares me the most. But they are awesome predators, and and I do respect them. But they just they're very very. But yeah, there there's been tons of uh, stories of bull sharks who have uh, come from the sea and gone into rivers and lakes and stuff. So yeah. going back to the eels, if it's a unique type of eel that's extremely large. That no one has has really recorded yet, like the giant squid, or like when the, before they found the sea lecanth. Yeah, you know, uh, who knows? It it could be something that's living in that lake. You never know. I'm going there one day. I am going to go and spend a couple of weeks there in my retirement, so I can go for Nessie. a long, so I can go for a long period of time. Yeah, and just keep an eye on it. Are you gonna Plus, go that's the motherland. That's Nessie the motherland for me too. There you so go. My family's from Scotland. Oh, okay. So. Go find my roots. So you're going to go do, do some Nessie <laughs> hunting, huh? Oh, just looking. Just looking. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it. That's awesome. Idaho's Snake River Killer. Now, all of the research for this episode came from two sources. A very thorough, very long, very well done AlteredDimensions.net article. And there is actually a Facebook page for the Lewis Clark Valley Serial Killer, Facebook.com LCVSK. 
they compiled a large timeline of the main suspect's life on their Facebook page. And I grabbed the more important parts of that to add to the story. But uh, it was quite extensive what the timeline they put together for the main suspect. Very cool. And yes. especially since, fact, like I said, we've never heard of this guy. No. So I'm very interested in getting into this. Yeah, and it was it's a great Facebook page. So go check it out. Again, it's facebook.com, L-C-V-S-K. Lewis Clarkston uh, Valley Serial Killer is what it stands for. So, all right. So the Lewis Clark Valley is a rural area on the Idaho-Washington border that consists of Clarkston, Washington, Lewiston, Idaho, and Asseton, Washington, and was named after the famous Lewis and Clark expedition, which camped at the place near where the Snake and Clearwater Rivers meet. Now, the area is isolated from major metropolitan areas. It's uh, 300 miles north of Boise, Idaho, and 120 miles south of Spokane, Washington, both major cities. Now, I've been to Spokane many times. Okay. I fly in there when I go to Idaho to visit my buddy. Okay. So... Very nice town, but like I said, it's just spitting distance from the border. Right. I mean, it's real quick. Oh, yeah, yeah super it's... close, yeah. Uh, now, the murders took place between the years of 1979 and 1982. Now, life in the 70s in the Idaho-Washington borderline was pretty much rural and quiet, and the entire Lewis-Clark Valley area had a total of about 30,000 residents in 1979. So, very small place considering how much land was out there. Absolutely. Uh, the area was an outdoor haven, consisting of rivers, rolling prairie flathead, and forests. Its residents felt safe from the evils of the big city and never believed that evil would invade their sanctuary. And with good reason, like I said, I can say from experience, that entire area, even though like Spokane is there, it doesn't have the big city feel Big to city it. feel, right. Uh, and the biggest, the, other, the only other bigger towns between there and where I go, a little place called Kellogg, mm-hmm. which is a tiny little town, uh-huh. is Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. A lot of oh, people yeah. have heard of Coeur d'Alene. Yep. Mm-hmm. That name, there's a beautiful lake there. Uh, there's a ski, uh, Silver Mountain uh, ski resort is there okay. in that area and stuff. It's, it's really nice up there, but it is very sparsely populated. It's very spread out. And even in when you're in town, you look around and you don't see a whole lot of clutter. Right. It's beautiful up there. It's very and, spread out and unfortunately prime area for anybody who wants to pull some shit like this. That's yes. just the honest truth. Yes, and not as sparsely populated or not as um, desolate as the uh, Idaho Valley of uh, Death or legal zone that we talked about earlier. Yeah. But still pretty, uh, pretty sparsely populated. Yes, absolutely. And let's not forget that it's bordered to the east by the Nez Perce Clearwater National Forest. Nice. Which is a which huge, is, huge forest system. It is. It's huge. Yeah. And it's uninhabited, right. protected. So, yeah. That's How, what's, that's what's like I said, that's real quick, that is what's so beautiful about the area up there. Lots of national right. forest. It's, it's, it's very an well outdoor preserved. person's and it's haven. Not, and it's not all humaned up. Right, right. I guess is the best way I could say it. It's, you know, man hasn't gone up there and just completely destroyed everything. Like everything else. Yet. And as I mentioned, 1979-82, it would be home to a host of disappearances and murders perpetrated by someone who was never caught. It would scare the residents into forbidding their children to be out alone after dark and taking them to school in large groups. The killer was known as the Snake River or Lewis Clark Valley Serial Killer. Saturday, April 28, 1979, Asenton, Washington. I hope I'm saying that right. All right. The first victim was Christina Lee White. She was 12 years old, 5'4", weighed 135 pounds with brown hair and eyes. 
She was last seen wearing blue jeans, red leather sneakers, and a pink striped shirt. Uh, that day, she told her mother she wanted to go to the Assateen County Fair, and she rode her bike out to the fairgrounds, and around 2.30, she called her mom to tell her she was not feeling well and wanted to be picked up. Now, her mom had mentioned that she had a history of heat exhaustion, and so told her to put a wet towel around her neck, and she would meet her at the bottom of the hill. For some reason, Christina decided to hop on her bike and ride to her friend's house when she knocked on the door her friend's stepdad answered and after being questioned by the police stated that he gave her a wet rag and sent her on her way her friend who was 10 at the time never saw her he was washing his dog in the backyard and never had any contact with her her mother arrived at the bottom of the hill to find christina nowhere in sight she quickly began asking everyone in the crowd at the fair if they'd seen a little girl matching her daughter's description and eventually her father got involved and had police question all the carnival employees only to come up with no clues or leads as to what happened to Christina. The father spent the next several days following the carnival from town to town until he was satisfied that they were not involved. Her body has never been found and she is currently presumed dead. That, see, that's just horrible. But then again, in an area that large, it, it, a little 12-year-old girl that big, and there's hunting and there's... There's tens of hundreds of miles of this land that are completely untouched. She could be anywhere. Bless her heart. That sucks. I think also it's a it's a, a, it's a um, coincidence of bad timing because I don't know how popular the fair was, but if most of the town was at the fair, there weren't a lot of people to see her uh, in between her bike riding. Yeah, and, and where and she it's, ended up. Yeah, and as it is now compared to you know compared to what I see of it now compared to back in '79, mm-hmm. you know back in '70 to '79, probably way less populated, much less sparse, a right. lot less structures. Towns weren't nowhere near as big, so even more land to hide bodies. This is horrible. I hate when this happens to people. God bless them. I mean, what a gut-wrenching feeling. You never could find your daughter. You know, eventually, if they if they were kidnapped or they just ran away, eventually you'd hear from them. Right. But for them to just vanish off the face of the earth. And her body is to this day has not been yeah, found. So that's, yeah. I mean, it's a long time. Because I know we talked about this in the Georgia episode, too, mm-hmm. about people vanishing. And it's just flat-out creepy. It is creepy. And it's, it's absolutely one of the scariest aspects of... But then again, but then like I say, in foul play, it's even worse because there's no closure. About two years later, Friday, June 26, 1981, between Moscow and Lewiston, Idaho, a a distance of about 30 miles in between the two. The next victim was Kristen David, 22 years old. She had blondish brown hair and was a student at the University of Idaho. She also worked a summer job at the Twin City Food Plant in Lewiston and was an avid bike rider and would ride her bike to and from her job in Lewiston to her, where she stayed in Moscow many times. It was a trek she had made many times before and the 30 mile route to and from was something that she was familiar with. Uh, after she disappeared on June 26, 1981, two witnesses would come forward. One said they saw Kristen on her bike going downhill towards Lewiston. Another stated that he had seen her talking with someone in a brown van stopped along Highway 95. On Saturday, July 4th, 1981, two fishermen near the Red Wolf Crossing Bridge on Snake River came across a trash bag with a woman's torso and leg inside. Oh, jeez. 
and they rushed to another boat to ask it to radio to the police. When the police arrived, they searched the entire river area just downriver from the bridge and found more bags with more body parts. Police had surmised that the killer dropped the bags from the bridge sometime in the middle of the night or early morning. Now, the bags were sent off for testing to the state crime lab and came back as positive as being those of Kristen David. One of the fishermen who found the body, though, was the father of a little boy who was also the last person to see Christina White alive two years earlier. Wow. Sunday, September 12, 1982, Lewiston, Idaho. Now, on this night, the killer would end up more than doubling his body count. Let's start with the first victim. Steve Persall, 35 years old, 5'11", 160 pounds with dark hair and eyes. He was described as extremely easygoing with a soft heart. He was last seen carrying a blue cloth duffel bag of laundry to the Lewiston Civic Theater where he worked. He was wearing a beige-colored long-sleeve pullover sweater with dark stripes, a two-tone brown ski jacket, and beige-colored pants. His girlfriend would tell police she dropped him off at the theater to do his laundry in the theater's washer-dryer and to practice his clarinet. Persall worked at the theater as a janitor and set builder, so he had keys, and he'd done this many times before. When police arrived at the theater, the only thing they found was his clarinet. Nothing else. That same night, Christina Nelson and Jacqueline Miller... 21 and 18 would go missing. Christina was 5'1, 128 pounds with brown eyes and blonde hair. Jacqueline was her stepsister and she went by Jackie or Brandy and she was last seen wearing blue jeans and a multicolored long sleeve poncho type sweater tied at her hips. The coincidence of this is that Christina lived on the same street as Steve Parcell while Jackie lived just a few streets over. Both women worked with Steve at the Lewiston Civic Theater. On the evening of September 12th, the girls went on a shopping trip to a nearby Safeway and Christina left her boyfriend a note at the house stating that she would be back soon and to wait for her there. Later that evening when they didn't return home, the boyfriend called the police. The Lewiston Civic Theater was on the way to the Safeway store and police theorized the girls went into the theater but are unsure as why they went inside. A year and a half later on March 19th, 1984, the bodies of Nelson and Miller would be found along Idaho Highway 3 in a rural area 35 miles from Lewiston. A 14-year-old boy, Marvin Mead, was out collecting cans along the highway. He stopped at what he thought was a promising location, but after having no luck, began to walk back to his truck. Now, in something that only sounds like it could come from a movie, while walking back to his truck, his hat hit a low branch and fell off his head. The hat tumbled 50 feet down to a nearby ravine. When he went to retrieve it, he noticed what he at first thought was a deer skull, but when he picked it up, however, it was in fact a human skull. Yipe. The police found the two bodies at the location and were able to identify them as Nelson and Miller. Evidence at the scene suggested that they were dumped closer to the road at first, but then later moved further down the embankment. So the killer dumped them there. They were not found because they were found a year and a half later. Yeah. Were so not probably, found. Probably due to rain, weather, snow, just... Or he just was brazen enough to come back and, and move him further down the or hill. Or they just rolled down the hill at a later yeah. time, you know. Police were unable to determine the cause of death for Nelson, but determined that Miller had in fact been murdered. Rumor has it that a rope was found at the scene that was traced back to the Lewiston Civic Theater. And with that, Steve Parcell became a suspect because his disappearance was linked to his kidnapping and later killing the women. His girlfriend rejected this theory as his car and uncashed paycheck were left at home and he left his prized clarinet at the scene, and she stated that he was soft-spoken and kind-hearted, and that the night she dropped him off, nothing seemed different or odd about him. 
Later, police discovered that another man was at the theater that night. This man turned out to be the fisherman who discovered Kristen David's body and was the last person to see Christina White alive. Are you easily offended? Because if you are, you should probably stop listening. Are you interested in the bizarre and unusual? Are you fascinated by the grisly sides of life? Are you the one that people call weirdo? Well then, you should get hip to Strange Brew Podcast, a podcast with a bunch of crazy Canucks. Tune in every week with Strange Brew's host, Tomcat, a.k.a. Tom Thompson. And Billy Kirby, along with many different guests. As we drink booze and we discuss anything strange and paranormal, from serial killers to aliens and all of the above. So crack those beers. And toss on those tinfoil hats because because it's it's about to get strange. Police now had a new suspect. Yeah, Mr. Fisherman. All right, the suspect. Now, see, now going back to like the, we obviously see this guy has no pattern, so he's kind of odd. He's all over the place. He, he's got a twelve-year-old, uh, a twenty-two-year-old, thirty-five-year-old, and then his his time in between varies. I mean, it goes from six months to two to a year and a half yeah, later. So he's all over the place, but the fact that he actually, for some reason, decided he was going to butcher the one girl. But the others were still intact. I mean, they were obviously in a state of decay, you know, right. after being there for so long. Right. But they weren't butchered and they weren't in bags. They weren't in trash bags, exactly. So this is weird. Yeah. Uh, so I was just wondering, you know, because obviously if he chopped her up, he probably did it while she was alive. He tortured her. Bless her heart. That sucks. But yeah, that's that's a little odd for these other ones. And then there was no signs of murder on the other ones, but they assumed they were. So... And it's, yeah. it's very rare for serial killers to change their M.O. Um, it's only happened a very few times in the history of, I guess you want to call it, a recorded true crime. Yeah. Uh, it's also Zodiac. He was also someone who changed his M.O. from killing to killing, and he has been uncaptured as of yet. Because it couldn't tie him to one specific right. thing. So he was quite intelligent, obviously. He was. But much like BTK... He sent notes to the newspapers and the police to let them know that he was responsible for certain killings by giving them uh, information that the only the killer would know. Exactly. But he was still never caught. Still never caught. Still that's, never that's caught. A, it's an in-your-face, come-get-me kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So the suspect, Lance Voss. Because of the close approximation to all his victims, the police were 99% sure that Lance Voss was their killer. Lance Jeffrey Voss was a 36-year-old longtime resident of the area who stood 6 foot 4 and weighed 200 pounds and was said to be very strong. He was born November 15, 1947. His father died when he was just a toddler while living in Seattle, Washington, and he spent his early years growing up in Chicago. And this is where we get into the timeline that was found on the website that uh, highlights some of Lance Voss's more dubious and suspicious activities. There we go. All right, so here we go. 1970, he moved to California. While in California in 1972, he was arrested in San Jose for breaking into Willow Glen Mortuary, carrying a flashlight, a 12-inch knife, and a camera. The body of Antoinette Anino was the only one in the mortuary, and it's believed that he was there to mutilate the body. Yeah. Well, that might, that, trash bags. Trash bags. You know, who knows? And this is before his first 1979 supposed killing, so it was a practice run probably. Yeah, you never know. 1973, he marries his first wife on August 4th in Santa Clara County, California. 1974, he divorces his first wife in March. Oh, boy. He then moves to Melba, Idaho on the 18 acres of land he purchased in 74, and per his second wife, removes all the trees on the property. 
1976, his biological daughter is born. He then divorces his second wife in Idaho sometime between 76 and 78, and in 78 moves to 309 6th Avenue, Lewiston, Idaho, which is one block down from Jackie Miller and two streets over from Christina Nelson. In 1979, on April 28th, Christina White is reported missing. She is last seen at 503 2nd Street by her mother, Betty Eminger, at 1 p.m. And the last person to see her alive is none other than Lance Voss. At some point, he retained another, another residence in Aceton on 819 3rd Street. In 1980, a real estate agent had a strange encounter with Voss. He contacted her to sell his home at 819 3rd Street in Aceton, Washington. He insisted on showing her the basement, and when they were walking through the house, she turned around and noticed he had something in his hand and was ready to strike her. Voss put the item down and asked how many people knew she was there, and she told him several people. He suddenly lost interest in showing her the basement. Cement work was done in the basement of his home by Voss, and law enforcement dug up the floor of the basement and cadaver dogs were brought in. This is seven months after Christina White went yeah. reported missing. Because they only found some of the bodies. They haven't found them all yet. Right. She, they never found, yep. never found her body. 1981, on June 26, Kristen David would disappear while riding her bike near Genesee, Idaho. On July 4, 1981, her dismembered body was found downstream from the Red Wolf Crossing in Washington. On July 24, 1981, 20 days after her body was found, Lance Voss would marry his third wife, Patricia. On September 12, 1982, Christina Nelson, Jackie Miller, and Steve Persall all disappeared from Lewiston, Idaho. On March 19, 1984, the bodies of Nelson and Miller were found near Kendrick, Idaho, near mile marker 14.6 over the embankment on Highway 3. Vance Loss is then interviewed by Lewiston PD for the disappearance of Nelson, Miller, and Persall, and he refuses to take a polygraph test. In 1985, he was a man was hired to do concrete work at 2344 5th Street in Clarkston. He describes several holes and depressions in the basement that needed to be filled and a big hole on the property. Voss would become enraged if someone would get too close to a tree on the property and at some point the tree was removed by Voss. Possibly a what burial is, place. What is it about him and trees though? I think it's where he buries his bodies. I suppose. And at some point a house on 5th Street in Clarkston was completed. In 1986, Voss has an affair with Claudette Boliva. However, she commits suicide on July 27, 1987. She was a seamstress at the Lewiston Civic Theater and a hospice nurse. And of course, Vance was the one that found the body at the apartments. Yeah. Uh, in 1999, he ends up moving to an eastern state, unknown. Now, why is he a suspect? Well, several reasons. Voss was the man at White's friend's house the day she showed up. He was the last person to see her alive. During the search for White, Voss would approach police and offer up certain areas for them to search. However, these areas would be areas that were away from where their investigation would indicate they would search or would need to search based on evidence. This would happen again and again. At one point, a patrol officer recounted a time when Voss approached him and asked for updates on the search for their serial killer. Kristen David and Voss both were affiliated with the Civic Theater, where Voss was an actor, set builder, and horn player for the theater. The same would be for Persall, Nelson, and Miller. Though, though police initially believed that Persall was just in the wrong place at the wrong time and was not a chosen victim of Voss's. 
just collateral damage. Yeah, so he he went there to get Nelson and Miller and just had to get rid of Persall because he was there. He was he, he, he was a, a witness. He was a witness. Yep, got to got to kill all the witnesses. Now Voss claimed to have seen Persall, but said that Persall left the theater around 9 p.m. to go to a party. Voss said he left the theater shortly after, sometime around 9.30, to go eat dinner at a pizza place. He then returned to the theater at 10 p.m. to continue to work on a set. However, he didn't get very far, citing an unknown injury, and decided to lay down on a sofa in the green room to rest. He then claimed to have slept on that couch from 10 p.m. until 4 a.m. the next day. Three people are believed to have entered the theater that night, and despite a heavy door leading into the building, Voss never heard anything and slept through the entire event. Police questioned Voss multiple times and requested a polygraph at one point, which, of course, he refused. Now, as of 2013, from what I could find, Voss is actually still very much alive and living free somewhere in eastern United States. Well, well, well. And that is the story of the Snake River Killer and the possible, most likely, suspect suspect that got, yet, away, got away with murder. To, but yet they haven't been able to tie anything to him. Mm-mm. See, that, bug, that bugs the hell out of me. But then again, you know, how many unsolved murders are there in this country? There have been tons. I mean, there's there's a ton of unsolved serial killer murders all throughout history, you know? I mean, and let's, let's, who's to say that he won't eventually get his end when he ends up going to hell? He'll fi- yeah, he'll he, get he's, his. He's definitely going to hell. If it was him, he's he'll get his. That's for damn sure. Yeah, but, I mean, that's... I mean, it, it was maybe it was considered as circumstantial evidence, but, I mean, the, the man had plenty if not motive he had plenty of opportunity for all of these victims yeah and like i said and then him coming forward pointing out areas to search which were the wrong areas which are the wrong areas but it also he engages with the police Mm -hmm. showing no fear of the police because he's not trying to avoid them he's actually trying to quote unquote help them trying to maybe throw them off his trail right you know a lot of killers probably pull that shit oh yeah they cooperate with law enforcement or they try to offer up stuff mm-hmm. say maybe i saw something or i can't be clear but maybe you want to try this or i maybe- mean ed, ed kemper was known to visit the you know local police bar multiple times and befriended tons of police officers and would ask all about their hunt for the serial killer in the area who Probably was him. He's he's getting he's getting information. Well, he also really wanted to be a cop too. Yeah. So for him being a cop meant going to the police bar and conversing with them. And well, at some you point get, you get him intoxicated, the cop might talk about stuff he may not supposed oh, easily. to be talking about. You know, yeah. Get them drunk, buy them some drinks, tell them how much you appreciate what they're doing, and then get buddy buddy with them and then find out what they know about the killer and then it'd be like Oh, good Lord, man, I need to do something different because they're on to me or something like that, you know, so. Which is exactly it's, how it's Kemper. Intelligence gathering, yeah. Exactly how Kemper went uncaught for so long. Yeah. He, he did exactly that. And at one point, he was known as sort of a, a simple, simple-minded individual. Yeah. So the police that never saw him as a suspect. Because he, he didn't have, the, he wasn't the brightest light bulb in, in the lamp, so right. to say. Or so that he appeared to them. I got you. And at one point, I believe they even gave him a makeshift badge as an unofficial police officer because he he ended up not being able to uh, either failed or couldn't make it into the police academy, but he really wanted to be a cop. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and that's kind of what Vance did as well. I mean, but he, or Voss did as well. He did it in an attempt to lure police away from where he possibly hid the body of Christina White. Yep. And unfortunately, like you said, they have not pinned this on him yet. Which is crazy because, yeah, I mean, Normally, if if one individual is so closely associated with all of these deaths, 
there's again as they say there's a 99 percent chance that he did it i mean he yeah. was the last person to see white alive he was on the river where they found the bag of body parts that belonged to david yep he was one of the fishermen that found it was found it as well yep. and he worked at the same theater that nelson miller and persall worked yeah and they were all in that area the night that one night that they all disappeared. That just goes to show you when there is no evidence directly tying you to anything, you walk. You walk, yeah. You know, so that's crazy. I mean, that's, yeah, that, that is absolutely scary to think that they're so close that they just, you know, they have that that one little thing that they need. They literally need the, the straw that would break the camel's back, and they yep. just can't find it. And I wonder how many people who actually live in Idaho and have lived there all their life have never heard of this guy. I don't see how you they know. couldn't have it. I mean, again, it's rural town, though. Yep. You know that's true. And he he's not really a heavy hitter. He only uh, supposedly killed five people. I mean, yeah. Only only three three bodies were found. Yep. Persal's body was never found, and White's body was never found. So, you know, he's they're accused of five, but only really three have been found. But so he's not a heavy hitter. Yeah. And at some point, from what I from what I read, if I if I'm correct in, in what I remember, um. What's his face strolled through Idaho at some point? Um, Ted Bundy. Yeah. Ted Bundy is much heavy hitter, much heavier hitter, and a much more famous serial killer. So, when Ted Bundy's in your state, he's obviously going to get more press attention than Absolutely. any other serial killer in that time frame. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a man. That was a uh, that was a really creepy story to read to to hear all of these. Uh, um, I mean, all of these obvious indicators and clues that this man was possibly the killer but then for him to still be alive still kicking still going so like i said evidence man that's all it is what you can prove in court and if they didn't have a case on the guy yeah he just yeah. walked away yeah all right james why don't you tell the fine folks where they can find us and all the stuffs i can thanks for the story by the way chris good research oh man. yeah man like that's... i said that's a good that's a good find yeah it was it's a, it was a great story to to learn and and again it's not a heavy hitter a lot of people like to hear about heavy hitters but i i feel that all serial killers and even spree killers are you know all in the same well, sort of level of scary well, it's like i was talking about earlier we want to dig beneath all the obvious there are equally as gruesome and strange and just weird things in this country you know, as as the stuff that's like more popular, you know, right, right, like your Area Fifty Ones, like your, you know, your more famous serial killers, like you said, the Bigfoot and all this stuff. There are all kinds of other stories that don't make the mainstream that hold the same kind of value, the same value, you know, the same. I don't know what what's the word I'm looking for here. Every state has its share of secrets. Yes, it does. And that's what we say, that's and what we're doing. Uh, that's what we're trying to find out. All Right. Well, folks, you can find us on the fourthhand.com media network. Uh, check out us. You can check out our sister show, What the Suck. You can also check out many of the other fine projects on there. Lots of great people, lots of great shows. We are also on Facebook under State of Fear, and we are on Instagram under State of Fear. Yes. And I do want to give a couple of quick shout outs. Uh, go check out a few different podcasts. Uh, check out Drink Drunk Dead. Yes. Uh, it's a really great podcast in which the two hosts, each week they, they pick something different to drink, and then they talk about a different set of stories from different parts of the country. They got a good chemistry, world. too. Good, yeah, they Good do. chemistry together. Uh, a new uh, podcast called Nightmerica, which is actually similar sort of to uh, our podcast, State of Fear, in which they are covering the weird, scary stuff that happens in the United States. However, they are doing it by topic. 
Yes. Whereas we're doing it by state. Hosted by Aaron Sagers and Britt Emmy. And it's a really great podcast. You should go check it out. Again, it's found anywhere that podcast can be found. Uh, and go check out also uh, Hysteria 51. It's also a really great podcast. It's on, on our network, fourthhand.com. Yes. yes, it is. Um, and go check out our boy JP over at JP. Not Today Satan. Hell no, not today. That is actually, that, it's, it's, it's not just a podcast, it's a video cast as well. And uh, it's a really great podcast. And I'm not just saying that because I've been on a couple episodes, but they talk about anything and everything. Yes, they it's do. It's a good hour long discussion on the most current topics uh, in any field, whether it's paranormal or just political or just normal. Yep. Um, and it, it's just two guys who just talk about everything and try to discuss, and they don't find any answers, but it's a lot of fun doing it. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's a great podcast. Go check them out as well. All right, James. Well, it was a great episode. I had fun. And uh, until next time, I look forward to our next road trip and our next stop somewhere. Absolutely, my brother. And we will see all y'all down the highway. All right, guys. See ya. Peace. Oh, and don't forget to stay tuned for the personal encounter stories coming up right now. Hi, my name is Dan Martson. I'm uh, one of the co-hosts of the Beyond Terrestrial podcast. I'm a podcaster, a former Jeopardy champion, and an almost lifelong resident of the state of Idaho. And I love what you guys are doing on State of Fear. I know you're talking about unsolved murders this week. Well, I don't want the Gem State to get a bad reputation as being a place you can get away with murder except for in the Yellowstone Park murder loophole. Google it, it's a real thing. Um, But I just happen to have two more unsolved murder cases. Um, The first has a bit of a ghost story with it, too. When we were kids uh, in the town of Potlatch, Idaho, the nearby towns were all named for... Ivy League colleges by railroad executives. So there was a Princeton, Harvard, uh, there was even a Yale and a Vassar at one time. But over in Princeton, an older lady by the name of Hazel Martin was playing cards at the local Grange Hall, walked home, and was never seen from again. There were signs of foul play in her house after she was reported missing. They went to investigate. Um, and a search was called out. I remember a lot of kids, uh, who we knew who lived nearby had police going through their yards and going through the tree forts that they made and things like that. It was all very scary for us as kids. Um, but she was, she wasn't found until years later, um, when her skull was happened upon in the woods by some mushroom hunters and her case remains open to this day as kids. I think it impacted us a lot. And we started telling ghost stories that maybe she still haunts the roads and walkways of the town. But I think that was just from us being so scared about what happened. Um, and then many years later, in fact, almost 19 years to the day one of my wife's former co-workers uh a young woman who i had met who i had sat down at the table with by the name of tiffany strelling went missing Uh, it was may 16th 2015 and she was last seen in burley idaho and a lot of people suspect that 
her boyfriend, who has a long chem- criminal history, might have been involved, but there's no evidence to link him to the crime. No one's been charged with her murder yet. Um, and again, a search was called out. Uh, some items of hers were found near the river, but her remains weren't found until years later um, at a construction site or something out in the desert. They were dug up um, miles away from the river. So it's it's a pretty tragic case, and if anyone knows anything about the cases of Hazel Martin or Tiffany Strelling, I would implore them to go to the authorities and give their families closure. Thank you. Oh, and by the way, I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing here on State of Fear. I'm proud to be part of the Fourth Hand Media Network along with you guys. And if any of your listeners want any more mysteries, local legends, and mainstream Fortiana, they can tune in to me and my partner Lee every Tuesday over on Beyond Terrestrial. <laughs>